everybody, Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast, now on justthenews.com, dedicated to facts, not spin, and reporting that cuts across the grain. I hope you'll subscribe to this and other Just the News podcasts, John Solomon Reports, and The Pod's Honest Truth. Today I have an interview with one of the fascinating scientists looking to conquer the puzzle how many people in the U.S. already had coronavirus, COVID-19, and didn't even know it, but are presumably immune. Before we get started, if you like this podcast, please consider pre-ordering my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. It's available anywhere, and as always, a portion of the proceeds will go to journalism, charities, and causes. So today we get to hear from a man I contacted after doing some coronavirus research. You may remember several weeks ago, I pointed out that the highly publicized coronavirus death rates were not scientifically accurate and that as the death rate was supposedly coming down, it didn't really mean coronavirus was becoming less deadly. It meant we were slowly adding data that made the number inch closer to accuracy. Well, of course, many scientists have been on that problem, and one of them is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University, He's a health economist and a medical doctor. He's also done some epidemiologic work for FDA. Basically, he says he studies data, health data, and he tries to understand what it means for the economy. And he's among the first scientists now conducting studies to get population estimates through hard data as to who has had COVID-19. And this has important ramifications because if you think about it, uh, you need to have a denominator, right? The denominator tells you that if you have the death rate as the numerator, you want the, the, the number of deaths in the numerator for the death rate. And the denominator, what you want, is the total number of people who've been infected, not just the people who've been identified with the virus actively in them. So uh, I thought, okay, well, if that's right, then, and we don't know the denominator, then we don't actually don't, don't know the death rate. Is it really 3%, like the World Health Organization originally said? Uh, I mean, that seemed really high to me, given what I've seen in other viruses and other, other epidemics that I've studied. So, for instance, um, uh, uh, the H1N1 uh, epidemic a few years back, the original death rate estimates were on the order of 1% of the population, but case fatality rate. Every one out of every 100 person that infected would die was, was the original estimate, the initial estimates based on just the, whether you have the virus in you. After people started looking at antibody responses, they found vast numbers of people, 100 people to every one that was identified having with the virus, with the flu, this H1N1 flu. So the death rate turned out to be 0.01%, not 1%. I don't see why it would be any, why, you know, I don't, I mean, of course, we have to do the studies to check, but uh, the, the key, I, I think this is a similar phenomenon going on here. Well, I wanted to ask about that before we get to your study. <clears throat> I'm not a scientist, obviously, not very smart, if truth be known. But at the beginning, I said the same thing you said, and I was talking about the fatality rate is certainly not the number of sick divided by, or the number who died divided by the number that we know got sick, because based on a few tests that were out there. Yeah. Surely public health officials know this, and other epidemiologists, and they were not, as I watched these news conferences, reporters weren't asking, 
And the public health officials, at least back then, were not making clear, they weren't giving a real fatality rate. They were giving some measure of, that's different than the fatality. It's a fatality rate among those that we know who have tested positive for the disease. But why do you think, you know, these numbers got out there that weren't quite accurate? I mean, the, the initial disease models that I saw would make a guess about how many people were out there with this. But there were guesses that seemed incredibly small to me. So for instance, I think the initial guess by the Imperial College modelers who have made this very, very influential model of disease spread, their guess was there were one or two other people out there for every identified case. That, that was based on a guess. It wasn't based on, on any data that they actually had to measure that. Um, I don't know why they landed on that guess. I, and I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I, I assume that they're, they're serious people and they want to, uh, they want to get, get it right. Uh, they, they must've had some reasons and I don't have any insight into how that, how that is. Well, the only, the giveaway though, in the very beginning, they were saying public health officials that as many as 86% of people may have no symptoms at all or very mild symptoms. So that gives you some idea of how many people may have it that we don't know, how big that denominator may really be. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I think if you, uh, like I wrote a, 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 it's really strange for me to write op-eds. I, I, I write scientific articles for a living, not, not op-eds. Um, but I wrote an op-ed uh, with, uh, with a, a, a couple of colleagues of mine, because we were looking at, uh, I mean, the basic method was, let's look at places where they've done much more testing. This is before the antibody test became available. Uh, you know, where the, a larger fraction of the population has been uh, been tested and ask in those populations where you don't have you're less likely to have selection bias in testing what's the what's the death rate in those places and systematically in places where they were testing more they found lower death rates so I mean that's striking right that's consistent with exactly what you just said which is that there's a large group of people out there who have had the disease we're not measuring and belong in the denominator probably with relatively mild, mild infections or else they would have shown up for testing. We're back with more from Dr. Bhattacharya after a short break. We're back with more of my interview with Stanford professor, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. I spoke to a couple of scientists who are working on coronavirus who told me separately, privately, they feel, they don't know you, I didn't mention you, but they said some of the same things you're saying. And when I, especially about the fatality rate, and when I brought up the point that this is not the message that was being delivered at some of these press conferences, they said they were not willing to speak out publicly because they were afraid they'd be called coronavirus doubters or for fear of looking like they were opposing Dr. Fauci or national policy. But they were simply saying behind the scenes, factually what they thought was was the case, and yet nervous about saying these things. I mean, there, there's, you know, scientists are human. I mean, we wanna, we wanna like fit in. We don't wanna, it's hard to like say them something that uh, all your friends are, are, uh, are you know, will, will say that you're wrong, right? It's just, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's normal. Uh, I, I think I have a duty to say what I what I think is, what the numbers are saying. I mean, that's, that's how I viewed my Responsibility in my career, um, uh, you know, and I've and I've tried to do that as best I can. Um, I mean, you know, I could be wrong. I mean, I wanna I wanna do as best I can, the good as science as I can, to check whether I'm right. Uh, so uh, if I'm wrong, 
because data show me wrong, I'll say that. That's my responsibility also. Uh, I, I think um, the other thing that's given me about this is that, again, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an economist and a, and a, and a, and a doctor, so I, 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 on the economist side, I've, I've studied the effects of big, big macroeconomic events on mortality in different countries. And it's catastrophic for the poor. So in the back of my head, I, I have this idea that there's gonna be this great depression, this great global depression, and we've induced it. And who will it hurt? It'll hurt, it'll hurt you know, I, I was born in India, it's gonna hurt poor Indians. It's gonna hurt poor Africans. It's gonna hurt the poor in the United States. Uh, it, it, the, the last great recession, we saw a decline in life expectancy basically for the first time in, in you know, since World War II in the United States. Um, I, I think, and I, and I fear that, that, that the policy that we've adopted are, is very likely to produce those kinds of effects uh, only magnified, not just the United States, but around the world. So if I have that in the back of my head, I kind of have to speak out, right? Is this the right policy? Is it worth it? Well, it may be worth it if, if the, the disease models are right and there's ten, you know, tens and millions of people are going to die or millions and millions of people are going to die from the coronavirus. Yeah, maybe it's worth it. But if that's not right, then we, we have, I think, a certainty of huge numbers of people, their lives irreparably damaged by this policy that I, that I, that I think we have to consider. Um, you, you questioned the premise in that Wall Street Journal op-ed that without shelter in place orders that millions of people in the United States would die. And now I guess it's being said if the death toll is not just half or a quarter or a tenth or far less than that, it's being said that that's because we were so compliant, we did such a good job sheltering in place. I don't suppose there's really a way to know though well, the models that, that, that have predictions, right? They make predictions. So for instance, if you're sheltering in place, you're not eliminating the disease in these models. What happens is you suppress the, the spread of the, I mean, and sheltering in place is effective in that sense. There's people not, not interacting with each other, so they're not spreading the disease, right? But the disease isn't gone. It's still in the population circulating. So once you lift the shelter in place order, and eventually that'll happen, the model predicts an explosion in the number of, of, of cases, an explosion in the number of, 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 of fatalities. It's, it's a, these, are, these are testable implications. But even before we can do that kind of test, we can know just by doing estimates of how many people have antibodies in the population, how widespread it already is, what the, what the true fatality actually is. Can you go through the process of, you had this thought, gee, it would be good to know, how many people in the population have already had it, you know, asymptomatically. And there were no tests available in the US to do that with at the time, is that correct? Right, right, there was no oh. antibody test uh, approved at the time when I was thinking about this. When was uh, that, like in February or early March? Oh, it was, it was, it was early March, yeah. It was, it was, early March. So then t take us to the process of how you came up with a study and how you got the antibody test from China and so on, please. Uh, sure. So this was kind of a remarkable story. I mean, I, I, uh, I wrote that op-ed with my friends, uh, and people started reaching out to me at, in vast quantities. I've never been, I've never had so much email in my entire life, um, and I've, I've tried to, I've tried to respond as many of them as I can, but I've, I've kind of been overwhelmed. 
but some of the people who reached out to me reached out with with discrete offers for help, including uh, some some folks who work who run labs that 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 buy these kind of antibody test kits for for their clients, and they offered them up. They said, "Look, we've we sort of anticipated it happen mid March, mid February. We already ordered these kits from from a from a whole bunch of of sources in China." So That's China already had an antibody test for this. Well, they they just started approving them. I think in late late February, uh, okay. the U.S. FDA approved them for commercialization uh, in or in basically I think the second week of March. Uh, but my but my friends who I, my new friends who I'd made because I'd found them through this this op-ed, uh, they offered to to, to you let us use these kits for these studies. I mean, incredibly generously. Uh, and they've offered. I mean, this study that this study that we put together in basically three weeks uh, in Santa Clara County, in LA County, and then and then some uh, and some other nationwide work that's ongoing. Um, I mean, this these studies would have taken a year or two or three to organize. It's because of this coalition of people that have offered to help uh, that, that that has come together in such a short time. So you can put this together and, and start to get uh, start to get results very very soon. So you've taken three thousand samples in Santa Clara. Yeah, we have three thousand samples in Santa Clara today. Uh, today's Friday, right? Friday today and tomorrow we're going to take I think two thousand some on that order of samples in Los Angeles County, and next week there's a we're going to have a national survey going in twenty five cities. And for, um, when will you report? When will you be able to report the first results? Do you think? I have been working hard on that. So we're going to try to, uh, so there's been some, you know, the, the tests themselves, the, the, the manufacturers reported their, their checks on the test to see how accurate they are. But we've been doing separate checks on the test to make sure that, that the manufacturer's reports are, are, you know, sort of in line with reality. Those are basically, I think, complete. We're still, we're still working on that. Um, as soon as like, uh, as soon as this weekend, I think we'll have a, a, a version of the paper we can share. And are the tests proving to be accurate enough to make conclusions from? Yes, I think the tests are, are plenty accurate for this purpose. So I've been seeing um, a lot of uh, a lot of folks say, "Well, these tests aren't that accurate." The question is, like, what are they accurate for? So if you're measuring, if you're, if I'm a, if I'm treating you as a doctor, and I say, "Okay, here's this test result. It's negative." Well, I mean, I think maybe there's a 10, five, ten percent chance it's not negative because the test is wrong. I mean, would you be comfortable with that as a patient? Maybe, maybe not, right? Um, but for an epidemiologist, if I know the error is five or 10%, I can correct that in the statistics. And I don't, I'm not giving personal medical advice. I'm just trying to measure the prevalence in the entire population. These tests are great for epidemiologic work. Uh, and I saw that they, okay, they bought a million of these of te very similar tests and they were unhappy because they, uh, they weren't that accurate. I mean, but I think those tests are incredibly valuable. They'll provide a, a picture of what actually is happening in this epidemic. We can finally start to make rational policy. I take your point that this is more helpful looking at population than deciding what medical status a person has, but people wanna know, can they order a test from China or from a lab if they want to see? I mean, it's it's actually kind of a miracle we got in under the wire. There was, a, there was the Chinese FDA, the equivalent of their FDA, I think, has. Uh, Restricted exports of these of these devices, in part because the there were reports about their inaccuracy, and I guess they, they were sort of embarrassed about that. I believe, and there's a lot of immunologists around the country working on this. These these tests will will become very widely available within a month. I mean, 
yeah, and they'll become clinical grade, I think, within a, within a very short period of time. So I think people will start to have those answers. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Check out justthenews.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and other podcasts from Just the News, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And think about pre-ordering my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. You can order it anywhere. Do your own research. Make up your own mind. Think for yourself. <laughs>